Hi guys, Russell here. Uh, another fireside uh, chat. Fire, fireside. The fire is going, but you can't see it. Um, my wife saw the last video and was appalled by the lack of Christmas decorations in the background. So I've added a few. Uh, Merry Christmas to those of you who celebrate. Uh, happy holidays to the rest of you. Um, look, I thought now was a really good time to think about or talk about you know, some of the lessons uh, from 2023. Uh, and, you know, when I was thinking about that, you know, it sort of coalesced into you know, this long term issue I've had with what is called macro in the hedge fund industry and how that ties into what I'm trying to do with GLD, TLT. And I think it really gets to the core of the issues, I think, uh, we've seen in the fund management industry and how it's really changed over time. So I'm going to talk about that. Um, and I think it, it actually makes a lot of sense to me. It makes things clear. Um, so let's get on with it. Uh, so those of you that, you know, follow, follow me, you know, uh, I've started thinking about coming back into fund management and doing other, a lot of things. And a lot of that was driven by what looked like the breakout in GLD TLT. So that's long gold short, short treasuries that happened in, in October. We still started to see assets break, break down. And the sort of was driven by was this idea that in the sort of pro-labor rising wage world, uh, when uh, the Fed gets dovish or sort of starts to seem dovish, what you're going to see is you'll see the curve actually steepen, so the long end sells off, and you'll see inflation-type assets like gold do very, very well. And so that's what we saw in October. And I thought, okay, this is it. The trades, the trades on. And when that's when I started to talk about uh, setting up a fund, coming back, publish a portfolio. And uh, as fate would have it, or luck would have it, or just how markets always work, as soon as you think you know something for sure, uh, everyone else thinks they know something for sure, it reverses against you and makes you look like an idiot. And this is what's happened. So this trade is broken down. To be fair, it's back at the 200-day average. So it's not. Uh, brown trouser time, but it's certainly disappointing from my perspective. Um, and so, you know, looking at that, you know, December's looking very poor on the portfolio. Hopefully it'll bounce by the end. But looking at that, I'm thinking, you know, maybe I've just fucked this up completely. And it's, you know, maybe it's time just to, to get the message from Marcus that I don't know what I'm doing. I've just been lucky earlier in life rather than being smart. I don't know if that's true, you know, but it, maybe that's what the market's trying to tell me. And often when the market moves in ways like this, it is trying to tell you something. Uh, and when you fail is when you're, you're unable or unwilling to accept a message uh, from what the market is trying to tell you. So I'm looking at what's this move in GLD, TLT and other moves are trying to tell me. So rather than messing around with like GLD, TLT, what we should have been doing is buying the NASDAQ 100 uh, or the Magnificent 7, doesn't matter, whatever you want. You could have bought crypto, whatever you want. And you it would be a much, much better trade. Okay, a much, much better trade. Even though GLT, and that was even before GLT, TLT broke down recently. It's just been a much better trade. It's just life, right? So, you, you know, maybe you shouldn't be mucking around with anything but the NASDAQ 100. Um, now, you know, for long-time subscribers, you know, I often talk about net international investment position. The reason why is it worked fantastically well for many, many years as a way of identifying inflection points and times to get bearish on markets. And in fact, even other 
uh, outside the US other markets to get bearish on. Uh, and I've talked about it a, lot, a lot, so please go look at old posts if you're interested. This is a US net international investment position, which has surged uh, to very negative levels. And what I've tried to do is normalize for GDP. And one of the things I saw was that when it became unbalanced back in 2000, it was a, was a sign that the dot-com bubble uh, was peaking and you know, good time to get bearish. I've tried to separate private and public here because uh, public is always negative because of foreign reserve management and other stuff like that. So for me, looking at this sort of metric, you know, it said to me US equities were a short in 2016. It's been very wrong. Uh, now eight years wrong, more or less. Um, and you know, if you look at other things like the twin deficits uh, and you know, all sorts of sort of macro analysis on US stocks, they have been completely and utterly useless and made the whole macro industry and short sellers as well, just look completely useless and pointless, right? You have to accept that as a fact. I accept it as a fact. You know, the whole, other than being balls to the wall, bullish on US stocks has been the wrong strategy. Anything that's suggested you to do anything other than that, you've got to accept as a failed strategy, right? And so you need to understand why they used to work Right, and why has it failed now? And if you don't have an answer for that, you shouldn't be in the markets, right? I think that's pretty simple. You know, uh, and I was thinking, you know, when I was looking back, thinking about funds, is that, you know, one of the big problems that people have will be private equity. Uh, Five percent Fed fund rate should really destroy this business. And so I toyed with the idea of maybe showing something like Blackstone. Uh, Blackstone has rallied forty-five percent since I started toying with that idea. Uh, so I thankfully didn't do that. Uh, a lot of the other shorts I have done, not as much as Blackstone, thank God, but I've also rallied in line with TLT, which is what they're meant to do. They're meant to follow TLT, but you've got a very leveraged move out of Blackstone, right? And so, and short interest is very high in Blackstone. Uh, so that has gone out and destroyed short sellers again. Uh, you know, so, you know, rate normalization in and of itself was not as bad as you would think for these private equity firms, right? So something else, we need to look at something else that's going on to really understand the nature of markets, I think. So first of all, let's go and take a look at a long-term GLD TLT trade, right? So I replaced TLT with a long-term treasury index return index here. And what you can see is that, you know, in the 70s, when there's U.S. equities very poor, did very well. And then you've been basically, you wanted to be a buyer of U.S. equities from 1980 to 2000, right? There were some blips, big blips, the A7 crash, 91, for example, 94 was also bad, but generally this was a period to be good. And then from 2000 through around 2010, when GLD, TLT outperformed again, U.S. equities were also a, poor, a bad place to be. Then you want to be in emerging markets or commodities elsewhere. And then from 2010 through to 2020 or so, GLD, TLT did poorly and equities have done very well. And so, you know, there's a relationship. What, so the question, what I'm trying to say is what matches up in the uh, 70s and the 2000s and what matches up in the 80s, 90s and the 2010s? You know, how can we look at this in a way that makes sense for what this means and how that relates to equities? Because what I'm saying is if you look at GLD, TLT, it's breaking higher, US equities have held up really well. So something's, something's not quite the same as it was previously.
So I'm going to, as a statement of fact, I'm happy for you to be tell me otherwise, but I really think this is a statement of fact, is that the Americans, both as a people and as a country, do not like to be constrained. They like to act without any constraint and often will act without any constraint. Um, and if you look at the way US politics works, the, the US politicians that do the best are the ones that just promise you uh, the ability to do whatever you want. Uh, anything that you don't like, they'll get rid of. And, uh, you know, they really don't like the idea of constraint. They like bullish stories, optimistic stories. Now, what happened, I think, in the 70s onwards until 2010, really, or 2007, was that the oil market and the energy market acted as a constraint on the US. And because of that, when energy prices were strong, there was an agreement that Fed should raise rates and you know, be maybe more punitive in its monetary policy to act as a break on energy demand. And you know, sometimes the Fed raising rates would destroy the US economy. So 91, for example, 2007, savings loan GFC. Most of the time, and this is why it was such a great policy for the states, US rate increases destroyed other markets which got energy prices down. So we saw the Soviet Union collapse in the early 90s, Asian financial crisis, tequila crisis in 94. Anything that basically kept oil prices low was good. Uh, and the more oil prices stayed low, the better it was for the states. And so if you think of monetary policy as acting to work against the constraint of energy, then it makes a lot more sense. Uh, and what you saw, you know, the collapse of the Soviet Union was really, really bad for the energy market. Not only were they overproducing energy, their consumption was also way overstated. And so when the Soviet Union collapsed, you really had a decade of fantastic times for the US where there was no constraint, no energy constraint on what they were doing. Now, what this also is saying to me is if anything, the China is a much more constrained economy than the US. And you've seen that in Chinese equities, much more constrained. They can't act in the same way that they used to because they're such big importers of oil. You know, and so that's, I think, does explain some of the big variation we see between China and the US as far as its equity market's concerned and other things. It's gone, you know, the, the China is a constrained superpower here on energy markets. And that's also, I think, why we see very different type of interest rate markets, equity markets and other things. So what that means, I think, and this is almost self-evident from what we've seen, is that uh, energy inflation seems way more important than food inflation. So as a general rule, if you start seeing energy inflation falling in the States, you buy equities. Uh, when it's rising, you should be out of equities. So like the late 70s was a period of rising. 2000 through the 2010 was a rising period. US equities underperformed massively. And really got gone sideways. Now we had this aberration, or this spike when Russia invaded Ukraine, which I think would be much more ongoing energy inflation. But it's come off and the markets, of course, have loved that. And so if you start to buy U.S. equities when energy prices and energy inflation is coming down, that has been a winning strategy in general, uh, a really winning strategy. Uh, and what we can see is over the last year, it's come down. Now, whether it's going to be like that in the future, I don't know. But what I'm trying to say is energy inflation, far more than food inflation, has been the place to look. They are very highly correlated over time. But what we've definitely seen is energy prices have come off the boil. You know, and you know, when I really got excited was when Russia invaded Ukraine, I thought, this is it. We're going to have a tight energy market for the foreseeable future. 
And in reality, even Europe, which is very reliant or was very reliant on Russian natural gas, has been able to get prices down from very high levels back to levels that really aren't that high in, in the historical scheme of things. And so the supply has been able, you know, supply has been able to deal with this uh, in a way that I didn't think was possible. So this is where a lot of my problems, I think, have come from a bit, is that the energy market's been far looser than I would, ex would have expected. And that's why I think the performance of equities in particular have been much better than I expected, much better than I expected. Um, you know, what I say is Biden and Trump are both pro-labor, but Biden is also definitely anti-inflation. He's gone as out of his way to get inflation down. He's done, I think, a very good policy of, of selling down the SPR, but he's also had this policy of reaching out to Venezuela to try and get their energy production back online into global markets, which I did not see coming. Uh, you know, so you've got this uh, environment where, yeah, I think the pro-labor policies Rising wage policy, I still believe that is in, in, is still in play, and that should be good for commodity demand. I, I think that is in play, but we've also seen anti-oil uh, inflation or anti-energy inflation policies being enacted, and they've been much more successful than I would have uh, would have predicted. Um, and I think that has been probably the biggest surprise of the last couple of years, is that we've been able to get this down, you know, get the supply of energy in and cool energy inflation in a big way. Um, so does that mean, you know, does, does this, what we've talked about, looked at, does that invalidate GLD TLT? So gold for me is, has a pretty good predictive power on the sort of that commodity energy inflation. If you look at the, you know, it peaked in the late 70s, just as the oil markets loosened up. Again, it peaked in sort of 2011, 12, as oil markets loosened up again. Uh, and so it has good predictive power. And I think that's driven by supply. Energy is the biggest driver of gold production costs. And so, you know, what for me gold is saying here is that, you know, the demand will be there and the supply is not going to be there and commodity inflation is still still there. So for me, even though GLD has gotten absolutely shellacked uh, recently, uh, it's mainly been driven by a rally in TLT. And as I've talked about, otherwise it's gold, uh, JGB yields are not, confirming and gold is still doing very well um, now if gold started to crack then i think uh it would be invalidating the thesis or implying that china is going for an asian financial crisis uh type moment and which i'm not seeing but that could be worth saying um and so i think that really you know what i'm trying to say is you know look the fed is not going to end the, the bull market if it can avoid it and if energy prices come off, that's a great excuse for them to try and avoid it. They are not going to keep tightening uh, until demand falls, if they can possibly avoid it. And that is what we've really learned. I think the market has realized that, the market knows that as well. So just keep an eye on what oil price is doing and the oil market is doing. The only thing I would say there is A, gold is performing well, and B, the US, which has been where all the supply for energy has come in recent years, keeps seeing more and more consolidation. And last time I saw such heavy consolidation was in the Australian iron ore market in 2000. And from then, iron ore just went on a crazy, crazy run. For me, I think energy still looks like it's, looks like an interesting place to be. And so I think the GLD TLT trade still makes sense. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but at least I know what to look at. Have a great holiday, stay safe, and we'll talk again soon. Ciao.